0: Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, A Better Story. Growing up, we have been told to make our own way, to write our own story. But few of us realize that God has a better story for us. Our prayer is that you come to the understanding that God has the pen in His hand, and He is continuing to write a better story for you. Good morning. Everybody doing good? You are excited? I'm excited. I'm believing uh, that God is going to continue doing some incredible things here in this place this morning. Um, we've already seen salvations, we've seen baptisms, it's been absolutely incredible. We've seen people take next steps just in saying, I'm willing to take my next step uh, in this journey to a better story um, that we began last week. We're going to continue this week um, and uh, have had some really awesome testimonies come out of um, this last week of the things that God is doing um, and just seeing how he works has been absolutely incredible and I believe I know with all my heart he wants to continue to do that that we're simply joining in the work that God truly desires to do and uh, so I'm excited about what he has in store for us in this service and, and this time and this moment. We are going to continue this series, um, A Better Story. We started last week, if you remember, we really started looking at the fact that, that uh, sometimes we don't even believe there is a better story. We believe that we're kind of, where we are is kind of going to be the way it is. And we started talking about how we deal a lot of times with condemnation. And we looked at some sore spots, is what we called them, that, that were things that it was the they, the them, or the it kind of thing, that when you see them, they call, you're reminded of it, it can kind of take you from that place where you feel like life is going pretty well and you're doing pretty good, to that place where man, you feel despair, you feel condemnation, you feel, um, is life really um, even worth going sometimes? Sometimes we just quit. And we talked about several different scenarios in that. If you missed that, I'd love for you to go back and, and hear that so you can stay up with us. And one of the things we talked about going into this series is that it builds upon itself. Um, we'll try to catch you up each week, but we really want you to be able to be a part of, of each week and and uh, experiencing this. And one of the, the things we ask you to do is one, be present, you know, be here walk through this with us. Two, um, stick with it because sometimes it seems like things get worse before they get better. And three, participate. And today we're actually at a point in the message going to give you something to do when you go home uh, this week. And, and you need to do it. You really need to do it. It's something that I've done. It's something I still think through and I want to give it to you to go home and do this. And if you'll do it, we're going to bring it back next week and we'll talk about it a little bit more. So, um, I'm excited. We're going to be again in Genesis chapter 37, looking at the life of Joseph and maybe looking at it a little differently this time, because we're going to begin to see, uh, this story, this account in the Bible from a little bit different angle. We're going to look at it a little bit from the, the angle of the brothers this week. Instead of looking at just Joseph, we're going to take a look and take a little uh, peek into the lives of Joseph's brothers. And I think we'll be able to identify with them a lot. So Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse one, let's, uh, let's read this. We're going to pray and then we're going to get after it. Verse one, Genesis chapter 37, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. That's important because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. That's important too. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of, more, loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I bow down and your brothers actually come and bow down to you, to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you that your word is alive and active. I pray, God, that you would wake us up to the reality of who you are, God. I pray that your word would pierce our hearts. I thank you that it's powerful and effective and it does not return void. So right now, God, I just ask that you would um, open our eyes to the story you have for our lives, which is that gospel story that is so beautiful and so awesome. And just this relationship that you offer us through your son, Jesus. I pray, God, that you'd work in our hearts now in his powerful and awesome name amen amen i need to get a little information for you and see if you are kind of like me on a couple of things one of them is this um how many of you like to take naps any nappers how many and you're good at taking naps right good at taking naps naps are awesome naps are from heaven there is no doubt naps are divine how many of you have ever had that nap that you wake up and the pillow's wet right from like open mouth just drooling the pillows wet it's so wet you're like where's my pet did my pet get in bed with me and wet my pillow because you have drooled all over the pillow pillowcase and and those are awesome naps you wake up and here's the question have you ever had this question when you wake up where am i like you sleep so hard you wake up and your thought is where where am i and you don't even know And, and the question is like how did i get here like, where am I? How did I get here? And for some of you, that's been like your entire college experience, right? Is you wake up and you're like, where am I? How did I get here? You need to stop that, right? And uh, you want to remember something from college. And so, um, but we've had those moments where we wake up from a now, we wake up and we're like, how did I get here? What, where am I? And we don't even know. Another example that I experienced the other day, riding down I 16, going to Savannah and I look over in the median and I see this little black dog running around in the median on i-16 obviously he did not intend to end up in that position right And, and, and here's the thing i know this dog had to be thinking if dogs think which sometimes is questionable but if they do this is what he had to be thinking how did i get here right He's looking at four lanes of traffic, zooming by, both sides, cars going 80 miles an hour, and he kind of run around and acted like he wasn't too concerned, but there had to be those moments that he went, mmm. you know what I mean? When he was reminded, like, I gotta get across there? What in the world? And yeah, I couldn't do anything about it. I just kept on going up, and I thought, like, wow. Sometimes I feel like that dog, I kind of feel stuck. Sometimes I ask the question, how did I get here? And I wonder how many of you today have ever asked that question. Like, how did I get in this place in life? How did I end up where I'm at? It's almost like you woke up one day and you were like, how did I get here? What am I doing here? When you were five, you didn't plan on life turning out the way it did, right? That wasn't your dream, to be where you are. And you ask, how did I get here? And not just the circumstances around you, but even the thoughts and the emotions that you have. Sometimes we wonder, like, why do I feel this way? How did I get here? But here's my question for you this morning. Have you ever sat down and not just had the question of how did I get here? How did I get to where I'm at? But you actually answered the question. Because we'll think about, like, how in the world did this happen? But then we never really answer the question. Have you ever taken the time to answer the question How did I get here? Have you ever taken the time to look back in your past and in your life and go, when did I quit doubt? When did I quit believing that God had a better purpose for myself? When did I quit having such an unpopular opinion of me? When did I give up on life? When did I give up on God ever giving me a better story? When did I just settle for what I am or where I'm at? When did I just develop this false identity that tells me I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy, that I am only amount to the clothes I wear or the house I live in or the things I do or the people I please? When did we settle into that place? Have you ever stopped and asked that question and actually answered it? This is the thing I can promise you about every person in this room right now. Everybody in here in some way or another is in an identity crisis every single person the other night i'll show show you the other night i'm sitting in the chair in our living room susan's on the couch and and god love my wife because she is the topic of so many conversations or stories in this church but but here we're sitting there we're just having a conversation she's like you know i'm gonna preach this message on condemnation and and uh so then she's like well you know I, i don't think i necessarily deal with with this condemnation, it's it's more like, I don't think it's necessarily an identity thing. It's just, I deal with fear. So, so I just don't know if it really applies to me in that way. And, And so here's how I hear that, right? I don't really think the, the series that God put on your heart really applies to me. I'm like, no, 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 you don't. Do not tell me that all this work does not apply to you. And so in an attempt to not be undone or outdone, I said, well, let me ask you this. If you struggle with fear, then that tells me you don't believe you're valuable enough to God for God to take care of you. Bam. (laughs) Identity, right? And so here's the thing I would say to that, and she's awesome, she she knows it, And, and she's learned how to fight that fear with God's word, which is the truth, right? And so she's learned all of those things and and she does a great job of standing on the truth of God and she battles it. We're not, we're not completely free of, of false identity either. We have to battle with the truth of God's word. And so we realize that there are things in each one of us that cause us to believe something that's not true about ourselves, whether it's fear, anxiety, whatever it may be, that there's something going on with our identity. And I will tell you this church, and you need hear this. The issue is identity. There is no other issue. When we begin to know who we are in Christ, it affects every area of our life. Just like when we don't know who we are in Christ, it affects every area of our life. The issue we struggle with is identity. I would say this, the vast majority of Christians would say they believe John 8, 32 that says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We believe it and and we believe that we've been saved and we believe in Jesus. But our experience for most of us would not tell us that that scripture is true because so many of us live day to day in the bondage of condemnation and guilt and shame and our past and even fear of the future. But God has a better story. There's great freedom when we stop believing the lies of our experience and we begin believing that who we are in God, who we are in Christ, is the greatest truth. Amen? The challenge for us, though, guys, is this. Listen, every day we have thousands of different experiences, don't we? And those experiences begin to shape how we see ourselves If we have a good day, we see ourselves one way. If somebody builds us up, we see ourselves another way. The only problem with man's approval is it's so fleeting, right? It's here one day and gone another. And so we begin to develop this mindset or this identity that's not true according to God's word. There's influences all around us. And here's the thing I would tell you. There are influences that cause us to see ourselves the way we are. They just can't become excuses to remain the way we are. Right, because here's the thing: all of the lies of your experiences that tell you one thing—they become powerless in the light of God's truth when we grab hold of it and we allow it to begin to define our lives. Last week we looked at this this uh, account of Joseph, and we talked about all the stuff that Joseph went through—from being thrown into a pit, being hated by his brothers, being um, in this in. in uh, Pharaoh's prison and, and all of these bad things that happened in his life. And yet somehow at the end of his life, he, he seemed to be like a cork that just kept rising up to the surface. He just kept getting pushed under and he'd rise back up. And we talked about how his identity was shaped by having a loving father who gave him that coat of many colors. He, he had been shaped by dreams given to him by God and he knew God had spoken to him and he heard God clearly say, I'm going to use you for a great purpose. And so we looked at that. But have you, have, have you had the thought, maybe you thought this last week. What about the brothers? I got a buddy of mine who I love him to death, man. He's a good friend, but he comes in and a lot of times he listens to my messages. And then on Monday, he'll be like, yeah, but I, you know, and it always follows with why the message didn't really apply to him, right? Or why God's love really isn't for him. And so Monday I was talking to him and he was like, well, what if you ever have the thought or what if you see yourselves, yourself as the brother, Right, As one of the brothers, and he was like, kind of like, what you think about that? I was like, I got you too, sucker. Right? <laughs> I said, absolutely. You're one of the brothers. So you never had the love of an earthly father to confirm your value and your worth. And you never were able to receive the love of your heavenly father that would tell you how valuable you are. You're absolutely like one of the older brothers. Here's the thing. I believe believe more of us can identify with the older brothers than we can with Joseph. I believe we've all had experiences that try to tell us something that is untrue about our lives. We believed our experiences rather than God's truth and so the experiences of these older brothers who had no coat, right? They had no coat. They had, they weren't given the coat of many colors. They they weren't the favor of their earthly father. All they knew is that we're sons of mothers that our father didn't even really love. They didn't have a dream that God gave them. They had never heard God speak to their heart. It doesn't mean he wasn't speaking, but there was no indication that they had been confirmed in the love of their heavenly father. And I wonder how many of us in this place today could say that our experience is similar, that there's been experiences in our lives, things that have tried to teach us or maybe have succeeded in teaching us that we aren't good enough. I was thinking about this and I came up with three different areas that I believe affect us, three different areas of experiences that I believe affect us and begin to shape our identity and many times begin to tell us lies about ourselves. One of them is major events. You can know major events. They begin to shape us. This is those things that happen that we might call a defining moment that begin to tell us who we are. For some of us, man, it was a tragedy. It was a loss. You suddenly, you know, you're doing good and life was rocking along and suddenly you lost a husband. You lost a wife, a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad. It began to shake you. It may have been physically, it may have been through divorce, but it it began to shake you. It began to, to be one of these things that began to shape you and tell you who you are and tell you lies about yourself. And you begin to think even with God, it begins to shape the identity of God because the pain and the hurt that you feel, you begin to transpose on him. And you begin to think if God really loved me, this would have never happened. And we begin to put things on God's character and his personality that just aren't true about God. And so we begin to see God in a different way. For us, what begins to happen is we begin to identify ourselves with the tragedy. The tragedy becomes our identity. So we even would begin to define ourselves by that. We begin to live in condemnation or struggle because we wonder, what could I have done differently? When children go through divorce, oftentimes it's follows or falls on them to say, what did we do wrong? We begin to ask ourselves, what could we have done differently? What could I have done differently so that the accident would have happened? How could I have changed that? What could I do that would have made a difference? How could I have done something? We begin to have condemnation if we have a moment of joy because we somehow feel that in our in our joy, we're somehow forgetting the pain or forgetting um, um, the person and somehow that memory is going to disappear. That's a lie. It's never going to disappear. But the tragedy begins to define us. For some of us, that moment that that began to define us, that defining moment, may have been rape. And maybe that became our identity. It may have been abuse. You may have been molested. And all of a sudden, your identity was changed. And you didn't lose someone. You were robbed of something or some things. You were robbed of dignity, purity, innocence. And that began to be your identity. I got a testimony from a young lady in our church. She said it would be fine to read. And I just want you to hear this. I want you to hear the heartache and the despair, but also want you to hear the hope. At the young age of eight, I was raped by my cousin and molested numerous times over the course of a year. My mother had noticed a change in me and told me that if there was anything I needed to tell her, that I could. She told me that she loved me. A week went by and I had a nervous breakdown. A few days later, I was seeing a therapist after school once a week. I did that for a few months and then once a month for a year. For so long, I blamed myself. I felt ugly, dirty, and unworthy. My self-esteem plummeted. I trusted no one and became angry at God. I went to church off and on throughout my life and had a poor foundation of what it truly meant to be a follower of Christ, but I knew I needed to forgive my cousin so that I could heal. After forgiving him, I thought I would feel better, but I didn't. I grew angrier and bitter. As I, got over, as I got older, I had a few relationships that didn't last and ended badly, and I realized that my past would always haunt me. I would just remain a statistic. I would always be ugly, dirty, and unworthy. My sophomore year of college, I went through a downward spiral of drinking, partying, and doing things I should not have been doing, all to suppress the hurt for just a little bit longer. It was an attempt to forget I would pray at night asking God to help me, asking for forgiveness, but I truly didn't want to receive it. I wanted to do it on my own because I believed a lie that God didn't love me. And after years of running, he surely couldn't save someone ugly, dirty, and unworthy like me. I started finding my satisfaction and self-worth in the guys I dated, the clothes I wore, and the things that I did. For so long, I had an identity crisis. I didn't know who I truly was. After graduation from Georgia Southern, I had to finish up my degree by taking classes over the summer. I'll never forget the day that a girl in my class sitting next to me saw the tattoo of the Jesus fish on my foot. She proceeded to comment on it and how much she liked it and asked if I was a Christian. I told her that I would like to believe that I am, but not a a very good one. She responded with asking me where I was going to church. I told her, that I'd been to church a few, a few churches around town, but was not having any luck as to one that I particularly liked. She then invited me to Trial Connection Church. I can't thank this girl enough for being so bold and asking me to come to the church where God would change my heart and forever change my life. Two years ago, at the age of 23, I went from death to life and partook in spontaneous baptisms at our church one Sunday. Later that year, I read in John 7, 11 through16, alongside 40,000 other college students at Passion, and realized that my funeral had been interrupted, that my identity is in Christ, and that through him I am made clean. Romans 8:28 says, "And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And listen to how she finishes it. I know that God has written a better story for me, even one." that surpasses mine praise god listen there is hope i don't know what event you've been through i wish i could go through every scenario through these three things i can't i'm depending on the holy spirit to speak to your heart that you could see what experience has taught you that's contrary to god's truth so that we can then put his truth in your life and you go, oh, I see now. I believe lies. I don't know what's going on, but there's hope. And his hope, and the name of the hope is Jesus he brings hope where there is no hope so many times i've wondered during during my my time with the lord and walking with jesus and going through difficult times god why is this happening why are we walking through this why have i had to deal with seven years of one thing after another with my dad and health issues why is this happening i don't understand it god i don't understand it and the longer i've walked with him the more i've realized it's okay to say i don't know It's okay to look at the situation. And why did this happen? I don't know. And when you get a God question, sometimes we don't know. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We don't think like Him. But this is what I do know. And this is what I turn to. God is good. God is sovereign. God is faithful. And you can trust Him. And you can take your next step with him. You don't have to have enough faith to take 10 steps. You've got to have enough faith to take one step. And if you'll take that one step with God, if you'll take that one step with Jesus, then he'll give you the strength to take the next step. All you have to do in following Christ is take one step after another, knowing that he is good, because you can't look at the cross and think that God is bad. You can't look at his son dying, bleeding on a cross for you and say he's a bad person. God, No, you can't. You can't look at creation and the fact that we spin around on this ball and the the stars stay in their place and, and doubt the sovereignty of God, that He is in control. You can't look at all the promises that God has fulfilled and begin to doubt that God is faithful. And when you know that He's good, you know that He's sovereign, and you know that He's faithful, the only conclusion is that even if everything around me is falling apart. I can trust him. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. And even when I don't understand, he's there. The second area we need to look at that begins to give us experiences and shape our life is our culture the world we live in the things that are around us because how much does culture shape our life right how much do the things how much are we bombarded with advertisements or billboards or tv or whatever it might be that's telling us who we need to be who we aren't who we should be right and and, and they never put ugly people on commercials do they No, and we look at all this stuff and well if they've got it I must need it so I can be like them and culture begins to tell us lies about who we are. This is the thing I would tell you you'll never find out who you truly are by listening to people who want something from you you never will Because all they're going to do is tell you what they want you to believe so that you will then give them what they need. Whether it's relationships, whether it's commercials, whatever it may be. That's the beauty of God's love. He needs nothing from us. It's not about what you can do for him. It's about the fact that you are his and he loves you, period, in Christ. Bottom line, it. For some of us, we believe lies from our culture that's defined who we are and told us who we should be and told us what we should look like. Listen, girls, here's here's how this goes down. You know this, that that the world tells you like, it's okay to have sex before marriage, that Bible thing, man, it's old, it's out of date, it's antiquated. You just need to throw it out. It's okay. Just go ahead. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to affect you. In fact, if you want to truly know love and acceptance, you better sleep with him because if you don't, he's going to walk out on you like everybody else in your life and if you don't sleep with him he's gone and then you finally say yeah okay i see that i'm gonna do that and you do it and then the same world that says if you don't sleep with him and you don't sleep around and you don't have sex outside of marriage you're not gonna be loved and you're not gonna be accepted that same world that promised you love and acceptance turns around and then says you're a whore It desires to destroy you. And yet I would tell you this, girls. If you're in Christ, you're not a whore. You're a new creation. You're not, you're not some slut. Listen, you're the, you're the pure and spotless bride of Christ. Start seeing yourself that way. Guys, we're told if we don't sleep around with, with every girl we can, if we don't have a lot of chicks that we get in the bed with, Right? If we don't objectify women and, and basically make them into like this KFC bucket, right? Breasts, thighs, legs. I said wings in the nine o'clock service. If she's got wings, you need to get out of there, right? Just telling you, it's either an angel or she is a freak and you need to go. And so no wings, But guys, guys, listen, listen, in our culture, isn't that how we see them? Isn't that how we think? And here's the crazy thing. You've got to sleep with them to be a man. That's not what I see in here. That's not a man. That's a boy that never grew up. Right? You're better than that. You're a child of God. See yourself that way. Live that way. You're like, I'm going to be in a 40 year old virgin. So what? What? When did that become your identity? It's not. We live for Jesus. He gives us our identity. He tells us who we are, not our experiences. The world will lie to you and tell you you're something that you're not. But in Christ you find your true identity. The third one is our caregivers, those people that, that, that influenced us the most consistently, those people that, that took care of us, or maybe they didn't influence us because they weren't there. For some of us, you had that drill sergeant dad, right? You had the dad that was quick to find fault, but, but could hardly ever find anything to affirm. Sometimes I worry about being that dad. And here's the thing: no matter how hard we try, we're all imperfect. I told you guys a story a couple of weeks ago about the Friday morning that was the morning from hell, where where all the kids were crying. Susan was like trying to help me get out the door. I felt like the worst father ever. I knocked down the basketball goal on the way out of the driveway. I mean, it was a horrible morning. And all I could think all day was, "What is my son going to be telling a therapist in 20 years?" <laughs> well, my dad—he hated basketball goals. <laughs> he hated cats. uh, I I don't even think he might have hated me. And we try, but we're imperfect, and we we mess it up. That afternoon, I put my arm around Dave, my oldest son, and I said, buddy, I'm so sorry we had such a bad morning. This morning, he goes, it's okay, Dad. And I said, listen, man, I try really hard to be a good dad. I just screw it up a lot. And he looked at me, and he smiled. And I'm still trying to figure out if that smile meant, Dad, I know you try really hard, and, and, and because of that, I know you love me, or if it meant you're right, you really screw it up a lot. I hope it was the first one, but, but sometimes our our parents, man, if they if they were that way, where you never seem to do good enough, you were never. Never acceptable unless you did good how do you see yourself I'm loved whenever I do good but I'm not loved if I'm not performing well and then you begin to take that and you put it on God and you say if God loves me then then it's going to be because of what I do not because of what he's done or who he is and so we begin to take that and we begin to see God that way that is not God God does not change God is the same yesterday today and forever his love never fails and when we think we're unlovable he just says come here and we think we've got to run away but his love is not conditioned upon our approval our obedience if you are in christ the bible says that you come boldly before the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy not to run away this is our god this is what he does for some of you you had the absent dad right? He just wasn't there. Maybe he checked out sometime in your childhood. Maybe he just wasn't there even from the time you were born. And so your thought, your mindset is this, that somehow I'm not loved. Somehow if if he didn't love me, nobody else will either. Whatever was wrong with me that made him leave is going to be found out by everybody sooner or later, including God. Can I reassure you with this? God knows what you've done, God knows what you're doing. He knows the thoughts you're having. And he knows everything you're going to do and think in the future. And you know what he says? Come here. Come here. God is so much higher than us. He's not going to leave. You can let him write the story of your life. He's not going to leave. For some of us, we've had people who, who in our life, they, they influence us greatly. For me, one of them was a, a mentor and a pastor that I had. I put a lot of faith in this person and, 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 and I got hurt really bad. I thought I was going to help in a church and then I began to be accused of trying to take over the church. And my heart was telling me that it wasn't true. I remember talking to my brother-in-law on the telephone at night, going, man, tell me, am I doing something wrong? What's wrong with me? What's going on? And he'd be like, dude, I don't know, but it shouldn't be this hard. You got to get out of there. I was told that if I ever wanted to pastor a church, I had to be a better preacher. Well, put this in your pipe and smoke it, right? Right? And this ain't me. I'm confident because Jesus made me confident. I know who I am. I'm not worthy to stand on this stage. But through Jesus, I've been made worthy. I was told, and this is going to sound harsh, but I'm just going to say it. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. I was told that my behavior and that the way I was and that because of the things I was thinking and doing and saying, I was told, you're acting like a bastard son. From a guy that I thought hung the moon. I couldn't do enough to please him. But it set me up for a lot of manipulation. And it set me up for a lot of hurt. Could you possibly see how that might have developed a little sore spot in my heart that affected me every day of my life? Because, hello, I was in ministry. Hello, I preached every Sunday. Do you think maybe every Sunday afternoon I might would go home and ask the question, was that good enough? Am I good enough? Does God love me? God, did I do enough good today that you would love me, that you would smile, that you would look at me and say, that a boy, way to go get him!" And it killed me for years but the truth will set you free. I know that I'm loved and I'm accepted, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. And if you are in Christ, so are you. these experience develop these sore spots that give us this false identity and then those sore spots those days the dims the its those things that seem to continually come back and point at us and and poke the sore spot they just reinforce the experience that we've had They, they they almost prophesy the experiences we're going to have and then they just reinforce the false identity that we've been living in We've got to get to a place where we take this, where we take his word and we lay it over the top of all of our experiences and we say, this is the truth. We've got to get to a place where we don't let the world and what it tells us define us, but God's word becomes the defining truth in our life. If what you've experienced and what the world is telling you and what your experience is telling you about you does not line up with the word of God, you need to throw it out. There's only two places that every experience can go. It lines up with God's word and I accept it. Or it doesn't and it's a lie and it goes in the trash. It's the only places that it could possibly go. But here we are, we find ourselves in this place with like Joseph's brothers where not everything's perfect. We're surrounded by imperfect influences. And so what do we do? I mean, what, what happens? How do we... How do we overcome this? And the crazy thing about it is Joseph's brothers, um, they, they couldn't see this. They didn't have the coat. They didn't have the dreams. They didn't know. They, 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 they didn't have their assurance of who they were. And yet here's the crazy thing about their story. When they get to the end of the story and you get to the end of Genesis chapter 50, you begin to realize that they received grace and forgiveness from Joseph. Joseph, as they came groveling to him, asking them after their father's death, please don't kill us for all the things we did for you, all the hate that we poured out on you please don't kill us. Joseph being a foreshadowing of Jesus offers him grace and forgiveness that they do not deserve. And when we come in all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of the condemnation that we've been toting and this false identity that we are, and we lay it at the feet of Jesus, we come to this place where we finally realize he's given me grace and he's given me forgiveness and he's given me Mercy. We lift up our eyes and we don't see the eyes of judgment. We see the eyes of grace. If we're in Christ, that is us. We're his children adopted for eternity, resting in his love, a love that changes us. We oftentimes try to change our behavior to be loved when it's only until we realize we are loved that our behavior begins to change. We get it backwards. God changes us from the inside out. And we look at these guys and we look at all the, the characters in scripture, all these biblical people, all these biblical accounts. And the Bible says that they're given to us for one reason. One of the reasons is so that we can learn from their lives. And this is the thing I realized, you know, who had an identity crisis in the Bible? Everybody, they were all messed up. All of them. That was funny. That's what I'm telling you. I am on a roll today. Everybody was messed up. Every single person. And there was nobody more messed up than the Apostle Peter, right? I mean, you even laugh, some of you even laugh because we've heard so many stories about how bad Peter would screw up. So many times we can see ourselves in the life of Peter because we look at him and we're like, man, I'm just, I stick my foot in my mouth. I do stupid stuff. I think of stupid stuff. And it's easy for us to look at Peter and go, well, thank God I'm not as bad as Peter was. You know, at least I'm not that stupid. And we start looking at Peter, but I got one question for you. You ever walked on water? Something to think about. Peter did. In Matthew chapter 14, I want you to hear these verses and we're going, we're, we're about to bring this to a close, but I want you to hear these verses because there's some truths in here that are able to trump our experience. Whatever experience is telling us, if it does not line up with these truths that I'm about to give you out of these verses in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, then it is trash and it needs to be thrown out. Here's the, here, here's the, the, the account of, of Peter walking on water. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. The disciples would have been on cloud nine. They're thinking, this is awesome. He just took five loaves and two fish and fed over 5,000 people. This is crazy. We're loving this. And then Jesus goes, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side where he dismissed the crowd. So he's sending them across. He's, he's like, this was awesome. You saw a miracle and I get away from it." You know, basically it's kind of what it sounds like. And then he says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you," Peter replied. "Tell me to come to you on the water." I used to think that that was a statement that Peter was trying to learn the identity of Jesus, but I really began to believe it's a statement that Jesus, that Peter is trying to learn his own identity. I believe it is a statement to try to clarify who Peter is more than it is a statement to try to clarify who Jesus is. Because for Peter to get out of the boat, to put his feet on the water, to feel the water turn into to solid ground for him to be able to walk upon it for Peter that means wow I'm accepted I'm loved I'm even better than the other 11 knuckleheads still in that boat y'all look at me Jesus loves me I'm the only one that's ever walked on water how about that I am a special disciple and so Peter yells out Lord let me come to you Jesus just says come he knows what's gonna happen he just says come come on Peter come on, big guy. (laughs) Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began sinking to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, listen, immediately, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. He said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gen... That word right there. Gen- da- 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 da. Right? Genasaret. Okay, that's how you say it. I'm about 2% sure that's how you say it. And they landed. Yes. Got a Pentecostal in the house. The first truth, though, that I see in this is this. You can write this down. Listen, listen. Jesus knows where you are. We know this. Jesus says, y'all go ahead. And then he goes up on a mountainside. But we know from Mark 6, 48, that is another account of this same story, that Jesus saw them straining at the oar. It's what it says. So wherever he was praying, he still had an eye on them. Isn't that good to know that God can go about his business and still keep an eye on you? Right? still know what's going on, and still be in your life. Some of us hear that as if God's going to get us instead of God's going to help us. But Jesus knew where they were. Here's the great news, guys. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through, Jesus knows. And he doesn't just know, he understands. Hebrews 4.15 says, we don't have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has in every way been tempted as we are. He was without sin. He knows. He's been there. He understands the, the abuse. He knows what it is to be abused. He had the skin and the meat beat off of his back. He had nails pushed through his hand. He understands physical pain. He understands abandonment. He was abandoned by the people closest to him. He understands what it is to suffer great loss as he watched creation. What was created through him and for him plummet into sin. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends and he knows what it is to be anxious and in fear as he prayed in the garden of gethsemane awaiting those people who would come and crucify him and he was in such a state that he was so anxious that he actually sweated drops of blood jesus knows where you are i can't say i understand jesus can the second one is this jesus is never as far away as you think he is you know what's funny the disciples didn't recognize him right they had no idea. Like Jesus is walking. He's just like, you know, just kind of bebopping across the ocean. They don't even recognize him. And, and I understand, like there was probably mist coming off of the waves, right? Because it's the sea's going, the wind's blowing, there's mist in the air. They were probably like going up and down the waves. And so they would like see him on the, the high and then kind of like this. And so like, is that Jesus? And they're like, it's a ghost. You know, right? so they, they flip out and they, they don't know. But here's the thing. I think I don't believe they were looking for him to show up. There's nothing to indicate to us that they were actually thinking Jesus is going to step into my situation. And yet when they were at their weakest, when they were in that moment, they couldn't do anything else. Who shows up? Who knew? Jesus. When they were finally at that place to say, we'll give you the oars, Lord. We'll give you the pen. You come write your story. Who comes walking in the storm? Jesus. Who got in the boat with the disciples? Jesus, who calmed the storm. Jesus, who calms the storms in our life. Jesus, who's always there when we cry out to him. Jesus. It says immediately Jesus saved Peter. Even in his crisis of faith, he saved Peter. And he picked him up. And how many people walked back to the boat? Two. Because Jesus held him. The third one. Jesus always gets you to the other side. Jesus always gets you to the other side. The Bible says that when they came or when they had crossed over, they landed when they had crossed over there was never any doubt they were going to make it to the other side there was never any doubt why because the story wasn't finished jesus had more story to write in their lives jesus has more story to write in your life if you're still breathing then there's a reason for it god has a better story he has a story to use you it's within his gospel story the question becomes have i given god the pen Jesus always gets us to the other side. Even when we ask questions like, will I ever get beyond this? Can I get beyond this? Does God want me to just be this way? Why have I prayed so much that this won't go away? Can I possibly be a Christian and still feel this way? Is this just the way I am? Is this my true identity? And finally, it leads us to this demonstrative statement that says, I will never change. And that is a lie from the pit of hell you will cross over listen all you have to you take your next step with Jesus you lock arm in arm with Jesus you hold to Jesus as he holds to you and this is what I can promise you He'll give you the strength to take your next step. You don't have to take 10 steps. You got to take one step. That's all you got to take. One step, one step. We follow Jesus for our entire lives by taking one step, not by taking 10 or 100. You don't have to take more than one. You take your next step with Jesus. The last truth in this text. Jesus always has the final word in our story. Not our experience. Jesus always has the final word in our story. Not our experience. These men were not known as the people who flipped out in a boat because of a storm. They were known as the apostles of Jesus. They were known as followers of Christ. And one day you're going to be with them worshiping around his throne if you're in Christ because he's going to get us to the other side. If you're in Christ, you're not identified by your sin. You're identified by the righteousness of Jesus. If you're in Christ, then you're not identified as the adulterer. You're identified as the faithful bride of Jesus. If you're in Christ, you're not identified as sexually promiscuous. You're identified as pure and spotless. If you're in Christ, you're not identified as the one who was scarred by rape. You are identified as the one who is healed through faith. You're, if you're in Christ, you're not identified as the one who was abused and molested you're identified as the one who is restored through the power of Jesus you're not identified as the one who was a slave to drugs and alcohol you're identified as the one who was set free by grace this is our God people You're not identified by your experiences. You're identified by the big T, the truth of Jesus Christ that's found in his word. That's truth with a capital T. It trumps all your little T truth from your experiences. This is who we are. If we get this church, if we get this, we can change the world because we know who we are. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry the gospel into the world and to proclaim the greatest truth That the world has ever known, that we, even though we are sinners, have been forgiven through Christ and we have been set free from the bondage of condemnation and judgment to live and worship and praise God forever. This is what I would ask you. This is what I would tell you. This is what I'm praying today, that you would simply have enough trust and enough faith right here, right now, today, to take your next step. Just one. That's all you need to do. One step, your next step with Jesus. This week, we're going to go home. And for many of you, for all of you, this is one of your next steps. You're going to take that sheet of paper that you received when you walked in. If you didn't get one when you came in, get one when you leave. We'll be glad to get you one. It's a sheet of paper that at the top, it says, how I got here. I read my how I got here story to you last week. I read to you some, some things about that I've been through. This is what I want you to do. I want you to answer three questions as you go through that, 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 this, this exercise. I want you to answer the question. One, what's the sore spot in my life? Two, what caused the sore spot? And what lies am I believing? Three, how's it affecting my life? And I understand, guys, this can feel kind of warm and fuzzy, and you might not want to do it, but here's the thing I found with men and with women, but especially with men. Typically, pride... Is our preferred cover for insecurity. I would say drop the pride and the man ego and get set free in Christ. You do this. We're going to bring it back next week. You tuck it away in your Bible and you bring it back next week. Because we're on a journey together to a better story. And this is what I'm telling you. We're going to take one step at a time. We're going to take our next step every week. And I believe with all my heart because it set me free that if we will believe the truth in this Bible and we will do what it says, we will be free. And the Bible says that who the Son sets free is free indeed. For some of you right now, your next step is to enter into a relationship with Jesus. That's your next step You can't think 10 steps down the road. All you can think right now is one step. What's your next step? If your next step today is salvation, you need to take that step. If it's today saying, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to be set free from my sin and the condemnation of my life. That's your next step. Just to receive the invitation that Jesus has given you. And say, yes, Jesus, I want that. I want a relationship. I want the forgiveness of sins. I want to serve you with my whole life. I'll give you my life as this, pl- this blank sheet of paper. You wipe all the junk off of it and you write your story on it, Lord. Here's my life, take it. I want you, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I'm putting the pen down for the first time in my life and saying, Jesus, I need you. And here's what I want to do That's your next step. I want to ask you to do something absolutely crazy. This is crazy. This will blow you away if you've never been to church before, what I'm about to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to put your hand in there. Such a little thing, right? And yet, how horrifying is that? There's 800 people in here. I can't put my hand in the air. But right now, you know, I need a relationship with Christ. I've never known him today. I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know the power of his love and his grace. I want to ask you right now, put your hand, you put, just lift up your hand. Lift up your hand right now. We're going to celebrate with you. Put your hand in the air so we can celebrate new life. This is what I can tell you. you take your next step, and somebody else will too. Relationship with Christ. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Who else? stick your hands up. Who else? You know, your heart's beating 100 miles an hour. Don't back down. Jesus didn't back down. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hey, listen, 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 listen. We're not done. We got next steps to take. We got, hey, that's your first step. We want to help you with the next one. We're not just going to say, look hey, praise God, they're saved, they got fire insurance, we want to walk through life with you, and we want to pray with you, right, we want to pray with you, we want to celebrate with you, and I'm going to ask you, if you'll let us pray with you, if you would just give us that privilege and that honor, will you walk over here to my left and your right, there's some people that'll love you and that'll pray with you and help you. Let us pray with you this morning. Let us help you take your next step. You raised your hand. Maybe you hadn't raised your hand yet. You just get up and move. People will start thinking you're just part of the prayer team. They won't even know. Right? Just get up and go. You just start moving. And we're going to celebrate life with you. Life in Christ. God loves you even you. Listen, here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. We're about to celebrate baptisms. We're about to celebrate people going from death to life. We're about to see this outward expression of what God's done in our heart. And here's the thing I believe with all my heart. There are some of you here this morning, you didn't know you were getting baptized this morning. There were some of you this morning that you're like like, like the story. I almost said the name. You're like the story. And today is the day that you start fresh. You've never been baptized as a believer. You've never been baptized as a believer in Christ. This is believer's baptism. This is for people who know Christ. You've never been baptized. Here's the cool thing about it. If you're a believer in Jesus and you've never been baptized as a believer in Jesus, this is a step you don't even have to pray about. It's in the Bible. It's plain. It's clear. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you that if you know today your next step is to be baptized and make a statement that you're going to live your life for christ and you're going to make a statement that i've been cleansed of my sin and you're going to make a statement that i belong to jesus i'm going to ask you to walk to the front here's the thing you came and you weren't planning on being baptized this morning it's okay we've got shorts we've got shirts we've got underwear we got whatever you need to take your next step this morning and in just a second I'm just going out. I don't even know. I don't. I don't even know for sure who's here that's getting baptized. I don't know. I'm just going out on a limb right here. I'm gonna count to three, and you know in your heart that today is the day that you're supposed to be baptized. You know it's your next step. And you know. I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna ask you to stand up and you come down here, and we're gonna take you and we'll take care of you. We'll get you clothes. We'll get you everything you need. But you know today is the day I need to be baptized. If you can't come down here by yourself, you grab the person next to you and let them walk with you. Probably somebody you know, right? If you don't know anybody, you come on. We'll introduce ourselves to you and we'll love on you. But here's the thing I would tell you. On the count of three, you get out of your seat and you come and let's be baptized. Let's celebrate the life that Jesus has given us. you've never been baptized, you get out of your seat. On the count of three, you ready? You ready? I'm nervous. Y'all nervous? One, two, three. Three. You start moving. You get up out of your seat. And you come on. Amen. Praise God, man. You good. Awesome. Come on. You know today's the day. Come on. Praise God. Who else? You know it's time. You know your next step. Let us help you as a family. Come on. Amen. We got one more question. You're here today, and you know uh, your next step is just to continue on. Your next step is just to say, Lord feel like i'm in the storm i feel like i've been through the storm i need my identity reshaped by you i need to know the truth god and i want the truth and i'm going to stand on your truth god just help me take my next step today i want to pray with you and help you do that i might ask you right, just right where you are will you stand up and let us pray for you just take your next step of faith and say and i believe that if i stand in my feet and god is there he loves me I'm going to take my next step i'm going to be bold i'm going to be courageous because the word tells me that i can i'm not a cowardice i'm not i'm bold i'm courageous because the bible tells me that i know jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so doesn't get any better than that does it listen whatever you're in whatever you've been through we want to help you if we can't help you we've got an email set up care at connection-church.com and email us come by the office whatever we can do we want to be with you we want to help you we want to walk through this when you don't think you can take your next step you need somebody that says yes you can I have those people in my life we want to be that for you let's pray God thank you so much for the people standing God we get to know you Lord we get to be a part of your story thank you God Thank you that there's healing even for us. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you you that you are the truth. Thank you that for those who are in you right now, we don't even, can't even really sense maybe that you're smiling over us. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love and your grace in us. Thank you for calling us to you. Thank you for making a way for us to come to you. I pray for those, God, who are standing. I pray that right now they would just be encouraged by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would flood them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, God. Just cover them in your love and your grace and the power of who you are. Give them, God, just strength to take their next step. Help them to see, I don't have to take 10 steps. I just need to take my next step, God. And give them the strength to do it, knowing that if I'll take my next one, God will give me the strength to take the next one. And the next one and the next one. And when I get to the end of my journey and I'm about to cross over with you, I know you'll get us to the other side, Lord. I know that when we look back and we've looked at this series of next steps that we've taken, God, I pray we would not have missed the joy of the journey with you. I pray that we would take every step rejoicing in you, knowing that our future is secure in you, God. Give us strength, give us your peace, and give us your power to do what only you can do, God. Change our hearts and change our lives. We love you, God. We thank you for a better story in our lives, a story that we couldn't write. Give us strength. Give us peace to take those next steps, God, one at a time. And we love you. We thank you for working in us. In Jesus' name.